0: In the beginning, there was nothing. Then there were comic books.
1: Once you enter our world, there is no escape. Comic exposure begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Comic Exposure Podcast. I am your host, Travis Ratz, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Josh. Oh, wait a minute. Josh isn't here. That's right, folks. It's just me today. Finally, we can talk about all the things I want to talk about. Puberty. Uh, Panties. Um, Uh... Ingrown hairs, all the things that Josh will never let me talk about when he's on the podcast. Finally, folks, I can take over the podcast and we can start talking real. Or we could sit down with writer of Bleen, the comic book series out in by Caliber Comics, uh, and we can do an interview with John Kalunga. We could do that, folks. I mean, puberty or John Kalunga interview. Let's go with the John Kalunga interview. I think that's going to be best, and that way I don't get in trouble when Josh listens to this. That's right, folks. It's another Comic Exposure podcast, and here on Comic Exposure, we do several things. One, we expose people to new trades. Josh and I sit down from time to time, and we read a new comic book trade by one of the big two, or Image, or an independent trade, and we talk about it like a book club on this podcast. Sometimes we sit down and we talk about comic book movies and other comic book nerd-related stuff like TV shows. Josh and I both have an unnatural fascination with the show Riverdale, so sometimes we'll talk about that. We'll squeeze that into an episode. Other times we're talking to writers and illustrators of comic books. And, my friends, you are in luck because you have tuned into one of those episodes. As I already mentioned, today on the podcast we have John Kalunga, Uh, Writer of Blean, out on Caliber Comics. I was fortunate enough to get the first four issues, actually the entire series of Blean, And it's a pretty dark and twisted story, folks. And you know me. I like horror comics. I like horror books. I'm not a big fan of horror movies. I think in my old age, I think I'm getting better. I think think I'm being able to uh, sit down and actually watch some of these horror movies. It's tough. You know, I live by myself. All right. And if you live by yourself, uh, you hear things creaking in the night. Uh, I sleep, some people sleep with a bat next to them. I sleep with a giant Oxford dictionary. I mean, this sucker is huge. It's like one of those uh, dictionaries you get like a yard sale. It's got like the BookSaver in it. The thing is a good 15 pounds. And I sit next to that, sleep next to that in my nightstand. And if I hear a creak or a squeak and I have to get out of bed, I grab that giant dictionary and I just I use it as to bludgeon bludgeon anyone who dares cross my threshold. I haven't had to use it yet. Only it's a dictionary. Only when I need a synonym or an antonym, or if I need to figure out what the root of a word is. But one day, someone's gonna test me. Someone's gonna come into my house and they're gonna get whopped upside the head with the book of knowledge. But I've been watching some scary movies. I haven't seen any any of any that have come out this summer. But I don't think I don't think much has been in the theaters as far as you know major scary horror movies this summer. Uh, I do what's on my list. I want to see that uh, a quiet place, the one or a silent place, the one where it's like they're using sign language and monsters come out and you know kill people who who make noise. Uh, I think I'm going to watch that with someone. I don't know if I'm ready for that level of scare yet. But Bleen is, Bleen is right up my alley as far as it's scares. It's really kind of like a psychological story that uh, follows this this young girl into an insane asylum and there's mystery and there's violence and grotesqueness and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that is uh, truly original. You know, it, it's... It takes place in that uh, asylum setting that, that we've, we've seen before in other, uh, other media. But uh, the way that uh, John unravels the story is, is in an original way. And uh, during the, the interview, we're not going to spoil any of the plot points. But uh, if you pick it up, you will be in for an original story. Uh, John writes it and the art in it, which is really something to behold, is done by Landon Huber. Um, a really kind of unique style. Uh, We talked briefly about that, um, about, uh, you know, how we transform a story into comic book form. John goes into that. Uh, So I hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, If you want to purchase uh, one issue or all four issues of Blean, you can do so on Amazon just type in Blean and it will take you You can buy the paperback version of the book. That's how I like to read comics. I like the paperback version That's just me call me old-fashioned. I like to take the paperback version. I put it right next to my uh, Nightstick dictionary uh, In case it's I have a small intruder and I don't need the whole dictionary I can just take a comic book trade and just whack it, you know Uh, Or if I need to kill a bug, you know, I have a plethora of uh, comic books in order to squash that bug with. So I like the paperback form. But if that's not your style, that's okay because the book is also on Comicsology. Or you can go directly to Calibre Comics, and I believe you can download digital issues directly from Calibre. Just click on the button, put it in your cart, and then enjoy the read. And speaking of enjoying... Uh, I hope you enjoy this interview, and we'll cut to it right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, John Kalunga.
0: Hold on to your butts. It's a comic exposure interview.
1: So, uh, welcome, John. I'm going to give you the official welcome here as we start. Thanks for being on the podcast today.
0: Yeah, you're welcome.
1: Yeah, so, um, John, I I hooked up with John through uh, some... Uh, of our previous guests that work with Caliber Comics and John was nice enough to uh, send me uh, the four issues of Bleen uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later today and so I got to sit down with those issues kind of pour through them and now I get to talk to actually talk to John which I'm really excited to do uh, this summer on my summer break I've been doing a lot of writing myself uh, I'm nowhere near as talented as John but one of the things I do like doing is talking to writers. Uh, and I after reading his work, that's definitely a title that you can attribute to John here. So, John, again, welcome. And my first question to you is, where did it all begin as far as writing? When did you become enamored with the written word?
0: Uh, as far as just writing in general, um, it was actually about, I want to say, 2005 so it wasn't too long ago. It was only about, uh, what, 13 years ago? Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I, I started off, you know, I, I wasn't really a big literature guy or, like, a big, uh, you know, I, my, my spelling and grammar wasn't all that great. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of started um, from scratch and, you know, looking back at some of the work that I wrote, um, a long time ago it was kind of cringy, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I got better, you know, because you know they say you know, if you want to do something and get good at it, you got to do it badly first. So. But anyway. So uh, when,
1: when you were a kid, when you were a kid, you know, in school and stuff like that, what was what were you gravitating to? or if it wasn't you know like your English classes, what was uh, what was kind of getting you through? What was your passion
0: when you were younger? Oh well. Well, when I was in, like, elementary and junior high, it was the 90s, and, you know, so uh, Goosebumps was actually a pretty big thing back then. Oh, hell yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you remember that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, R.L. Stein, yeah, he, he uh, you know, he, obviously, you know, the, the Goosebump books weren't these very, like, you know, profound stories or anything like that, but they were, you know, for kids and, you know, and... Uh, that's pretty much what got me into being creative. Was just I, I really loved reading the Goosebumps books.
1: Oh yeah, you can't knock Goosebumps. I remember, like, I think that's a lot of people. I think we're around the same age. I was in uh, uh, middle and some of high school in the in the late nineties, uh, and I got into reading um, through Goosebumps as well. You know, through comics and Goosebumps. And there is something about that those Goosebumps books. R.L. Stein tells a very concise stories. You know, as far as that plot, that you know, that plot structure. uh, I mean, that at a really early age kind of cues you in on how how a story is told. You know, so I really like that.
0: Yeah, it's a good template
1: for. Yeah. What was your favorite? Do you remember any of your favorite ones?
0: Yes, my favorite ones were Monster Blood.
1: I don't think I read that one. Oh, you never read Monster Blood. What
0: was the concept of Monster Blood? Um. Well. It made uh, whatever ate it, it made it grow. So there was this green ooze that was called monster blood, and if anything, you know, ate it or it got on anything or something, it would, it would grow and, you know, become more of like monster like or something like that.
1: I could just see R.L. Stein walking into the publisher giving that pitch. And then he's like, okay, and then... So the monster blood gets eaten by these turtles, and these turtles grow into big turtles, and there's this yeah. rat, and you're like, you're like whoa, yeah. whoa, stop right there. <laughs> you're not yeah. really in touch with the kids these days. It's been done. Yeah,
0: exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, if you were a kid in the 90s, too, then you to know all about ninja turtles, too. Yeah, it was always about ooze. Like, we, as 90s kids, we just accepted the power of
1: ooze and toxic waste in general. It must have been something with, like, the, you know the eco-friendly movement that, that the 90s brought with it with, you know, can you yeah. protect the planet? Because everything with Toxic Avengers and Ninja I Turtles. That. Yeah, everything was... The guy, just,
0: the guy with the mop. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. think Toxic Avengers got their, got their due credit. Stuff like
0: that. I, there, there was a movie, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah. There was, it was, it was done, like a live-action... Yeah, it was yeah. done by like that uh, movie company who does all those like really low-budget movies. Uh, like canon pictures, or as some people are screaming at the podcast right now because they know the right answer. But oh. um, yeah. <laughs> I always liked uh, Night of the Living Dummy. i to this day, I am oh, that's still, a good one, yes. I still can't walk into like a room with like dolls, like an, like, a, like a grandma's house, if there's dolls sitting around. Fuck that shit. I'm, I'm out of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah, they could be they could be pretty creepy. I, I don't like the like the little porcelain dolls. Those things kind of creep me out.
1: Yeah, I don't know who collects those <laughs> things. But speaking of of creepy and, and R L Stein, you know, uh, one of the first things that anyone who opens up Bleen is going to catch is kind of like this horror horror element that runs through it. You know, you talked about R L Stein and Goosebumps. Has that always been something you've been fascinated with? Is kind of like the occult and and horror.
0: Yeah, I was actually—I was always. I mean, it wasn't just goosebumps that I was into when I was a lot younger. I was also into Clive Barker, and uh, a lot of people actually compare my work to Tim Burton. And even though, like, I do like Tim Burton, um, he's not exactly, you know, my main uh, inspiration or anything like that. Um, but yeah I mean I was I watched the, I was watching the Hellraiser movies when I was you know just a little kid you know twelve thirteen years old so um, you know i I kind of uh, built up uh, an immunity to it just from those movies you know because <laughs> those ones are pretty pretty bad
1: well did you have a, a like a dad or older brother or sister who was into that or did you just kind of gravitate
0: to that on your own? yeah it was actually just me I mean my mother um You know she she likes psychological thrillers and stuff like that Uh, but uh she didn't really she was never really into the gory stuff or the monster kind of stuff but but yeah i mean i guess you could say that i'm really the only one who who was really into that and kind of stuck to the genre
1: yeah when you when you're when you're thinking i always you know i think about like horror writers or horror directors and things like that I, i i I enjoy reading horror more than I enjoy watching it because I can always kind of temper, you know, how much, how much I want to put on these words and how much imagery I want to put yeah. onto it. Um, when you're when you're sitting down and you're writing something <coughs> like Blean or another horror concept, like how, like what kind of state do you have to be in? Do do you really kind of have to get into this twisted macabre state? Like, do you have to do anything to get into that frame of mind, or is this are these kind of thoughts do they kind of permeate your dreams or you sit around thinking about decapitation and guts and stuff What what's the process there
0: uh well sitting around thinking about decapitation and guts that was a little bit something i did a little bit when i was a lot younger you know uh, but you know i'm, tr- I'm actually turning uh, 34 and for uh, three days oh nice i'm also so, 34 you're in good company oh yeah 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 we have the we, we grew up in the same exact time period. Yeah. Same um, pop
1: references, yep.
0: Yeah. So, uh... Oh, I'm sorry, what was the question? Well, we were talking about <laughs> the
1: idea of, like, what kind of state of mind do you get in when you're writing horror? Oh. Like, is it something I you think about constantly? Do you have to go to, like, the dark, perverse regions regions of your mind?
0: Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said no, you know. Uh, it, do, it does take a little bit of, you know... Um, a, a little bit out of you, you know, um, to to write and kind of put your your mind into the the set of the characters, and, you know, especially if it's a story with a lot of characters, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I mean, I don't, like, you know, turn the light off and light candles and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> but, like, sacrifice a goat before I, you know, start writing, but You know it is it is what it is.
1: I think uh, Stephanie Myers of Twilight fame uh, sacrifices goats every time she writes so it might not be a bad idea.
0: Um I don't don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was never really a a big uh, Twilight guy. Oh yeah
1: when you teach high school you gotta you gotta you gotta read a couple of those every you gotta read the Twilights and the Hunger Games and all that stuff and yeah, And then it, it, it really does kind of fuel you to be a writer because you're like, oh, if people are going to buy this, I can do this, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a Twilight hater or anything like that, but I just know yeah, It's all you know, it's
1: all gravy as far as, like, if it, you know, it's making someone money and people enjoy it, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean... I, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. Oh, oh I was just going to add in one more thing about uh, Blaine... Um, it's it's very uh, uh, raunchy, you know? Um, and I kind of wanted to make it that way, you know? Uh, because I wanted to write at least one thing that was kind of, you know, uh, uh, just raunchy, you know? Um, I remember watching an interview on, or not an interview, but a, uh, a review on YouTube about Blaine and the guy was saying that it it had a lot of cursing in it Mm -hmm. and and he he said that it was unnecessary and uh, you know but if you actually read it there's only certain characters that actually do curse, curse you know and it's not like I'm just writing you know like every character in the whole story is just you know dropping the F bomb left and right everywhere you know uh, and the main uh, antagonist of the story actually doesn't even say one cuss word to the entire thing. Right,
1: Glean <laughs> slash the sailor uh, character there. Yeah, you know, I, I think yeah. I think that you you marshal that, that um, the the swearing pretty well. In fact, in the the first exposition of the book, you don't really you don't really get any swearing until. Um, you know, uh, without spoiling anything, until the main character gets to the main setting, which is the asylum. And then we have a few characters that come in, and I mean, at one point, you know, this, a young girl is called the cunt, and you're like, wow. But we were talking uh, a little bit beforehand about the idea that this was originally kind of a longer piece, a novel, correct? Yeah. And, and so, I... when you when you have to condense stuff, you really kind of have to show that this is a bad guy and you have to do it like pretty quickly uh and so having him call a small child a cunt uh is a pretty good way to do that and you know sometimes that language really cuts through and allows you to villainize certain characters a lot quicker
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know without you know i don't want to sit here and give away the whole plot or anything like that, but a lot, of the, a lot of the characters in Blaine are actually based not based off of anyone that I know personally but just based off of a, how a lot of people are in the real world, you know and uh, you know, with today's you know, really sensitive kind of PC culture, you know and I know that, you know, we grew up uh, in the 80s and 90s and it was a lot different back then, you yeah. know um, People weren't so sensitive, and you know, not that there's anything wrong with people, you know, condemning uh, hateful things, you know, but you know, yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're alone. It's kind of weird. I, I was thinking about this the other day as uh, as well. I'm I'm working on a, a play for uh, high school students. And so it becomes like sensing yourself in a certain degree, which makes sense. But I don't think I've ever thought so much in the creative process about how my words and images are going to offend as much as I have in the last two years. And I think it's something that a lot of uh, writers and artists are go- have to kind of deal with these days is the idea of yeah. like, who am I going to isolate by using this language, by using this image? Yeah. And it sounds like it was something that you, you really considered.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was thinking about it, but then, you know, I was just like, you know, I, I don't like to, uh, you know, suffocate the, the artistic process, you know, and, you know, if you read Blaine, you'll see that I did not at all
1: <laughs> you know, it, it, once it amps up it kind of goes along with that plot the, the more you get into it the more violent it becomes the more grotesque it becomes and the more terrifying it becomes as you kind of move through this plot
0: yeah and you know but you know some, some people you know might say that it's offensive and all that kind of stuff but you know I'm just I'm just as against those things as they are you know right? and in the, it, it being in the story is more of me kind of trying to convey a message that there are these kind of types of people in the world, you know, and you know it, it, it is kind of a problem, but you know.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, people were doing that in the in the '90s, like Garth Ennis with Preacher. I mean, it has people fucking people who were made out of like dead meat and all this stuff and, and so it's, it's being provocative in the form of comics and it, I love one of the reasons I love the medium is because you can uh, add that visual to such strong language uh, and you don't have to have a film budget to do it so it's, it's a place to kind of yeah, read exactly. more avant-garde work um, and some people might even call twisted thoughts uh in a way where you know authors like you have a little bit more of a voice and and people can go and select it you know um you're not making any qualms you're you're putting it on front street like hey this is this is a mature book you know uh you need to be a mature reader to read this book uh so let's let's talk a little bit about the book itself as far as um kind of the overall premise of it you know, I'm sure you've given this a couple of times, uh, so I'll go ahead and turn the uh, wheel to you and kind of do like an elevator pitch as far as how much you want to give away the plot or entice people into what is glean about.
0: Oh, um, well, well, it's a, it's a, it's a lot of uh, metaphorical uh, darkness. Um, the, the premise is about a young girl in her mid-teens who is committed to an asylum called Neighbor Hills and um, you know, that kind of, uh, you don't really know exactly why she's in there or mm-hmm. why she's being brought there, <clears throat> which actually was explained a lot more in the, the novel form that I, that I had previously mm-hmm. written, but, um, yeah, she, she basically just goes into this place um, and, you know, uh, immediately finds out that it's not a very good place. You know, um, the the people that work there, the staff members, you know, they, they take advantage of the, the kind of the, the secret, the secrecy and the isolation of the place to uh, do these terrible things. <laughs> And uh, Bloom herself is able to more or less conjure uh, monsters out of her mind. And so she ends up having a monster in her room with her who speaks to her and, you know, is very kind of uh, sympathetic. In a very manipulative way toward her and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it it, it kind of goes down uh, just as much of a psychological thriller path as it does, you know, slasher horror or whatever.
1: Yeah, there's there's something to be said, you know, about setting a story in a mental facility. Um, right there, you you have the the freedom to suggest that things aren't always what they seem, right? The idea of any time a story takes place in an asylum, we as the author, as the reader, we don't know like what's real and what's not real. And you get a real sense of that while reading the first couple issues of Bleen. Um, of, as a reader, you're, you're trying to figure out the mystery that Bleen is trying to figure out and you know how she's going to escape, but also just what's real and what's not real within this story. Uh, whether it's what's that, uh, Shutter Island, or you know Sucker Punch, or some of these more mainstream uh, pieces that are set in a mental facility, um, they give you that kind of uh, unsure, unsureness about uh, what's real and what's not real. Yeah. You said you started kind of getting into writing around 2005. How long had this idea of Blean been uh, percolating before you actually started to write it in its, in its novel form?
0: Uh, Well, I I started um, coming up with concepts of it in 2009, so it was actually quite a long time ago, uh, but I didn't really come back to it until around 2013, and that's when I really started uh, developing it more and, you know... uh, just telling people about it, and you yeah. know, you know, friends, and uh, not not really family, but uh, yeah, <laughs> um, friends and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, and uh, the uh, the illustrator of the comic, Landon Huber, um, me and him were having a conversation at Denny's one night about Blame and he just offered to to basically draw it in a in a graphic novel form for me and i was kind of you know surprised by that but you know i i took the offer and you know we it took us uh two years to make it actually
1: oh wow what did you what yeah. did you think the big what was the biggest challenge in converting it from kind of its novel form into its uh, graphic novel form
0: Oh yeah, that, that that actually was pretty challenging because uh, because of the the condensing of it, and because I, I you know I'm I like to to really you know go into the deeper aspects of of writing and, and uh, so just kind of having some bubbles to work with you know and and instead of you know basically like three pages of the graphic novel would be like. 10 pages of the, you know, so. The text, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, it was the first time that I had ever constructed a, because I actually drew, um, myself the, uh, what are they called, uh, the panels? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would draw the, the panels myself and, and kind of a lot crappier, obviously. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I would, um, I had to it was the first time I had I had constructed a story like that. So it was pretty challenging, you know. I was like, okay, well, how am I going to, you know, convey this and, and and how many panels am I going to put on the page, you know? Uh, and so that that was but but you know, Landon he has a uh, he's he's pretty experienced in that area, so he was able to more or less kind of uh, come in when I when I got lost, so
1: I think that's what people um, you know forget about comics or people who've actually tried to write comics or written comics is I think we underestimate the importance of those panels, the layout and also where that page ends And you know I've never tried to writ- uh, write a uh, graphic novel myself, but talking to people who have, there's a real art form to where do you end a page and how does that panel blend in with the next page and you don't want a, a, a scene spoiled on the right page when you're on the left page, and so you want that turn reveal. Yeah. And there's all this stuff that, that goes with laying out a comic that you don't really think about when you're writing a novel or a short story or something like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um it's because they're they're just two different monsters. Yeah. It's like I said before, uh, you know, writing a a novel is way different because you can really convey things uh, through words, whereas in a graphic novel, you know, the 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 actual images themselves do a lot of the conveying. Is you know, so
1: right. And you know, unless you're going to self-illustrate, another aspect of that comes is. You have to give up some of your idea you have to it's a shared you know like you you don't have control over everything and i think for uh, uh writers that can be tough to let go of complete control over your baby sometimes you know
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: Most so you, you you this is put out on caliber comics correct
0: yes caliber comics is the ones who published it
1: and I've read a couple of uh, Caliber. I really love what Caliber does for like emerging comic book artists or uh, just the independent comic scene in general. They put oh, out yeah. a ton mm-hmm. of stuff. They put out yeah. so much stuff. It's so great. Um, what's it been like working with them?
0: Oh, uh, it's been it's been really great. Um, I know that you know uh, Andrea Molinari. He's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's he's a great guy. He actually. Uh, when I sub, uh, first submitted it to Caliber, um, it took him about a couple of weeks to get back to me. But, uh, you know, Andrea, he he wanted to, he, he called me actually, because he just wanted to talk about Bling. And, you know, it, it was, it was, it was surprising, you know, um, because he was calling me more like just, you know, he, he sounded really excited about it and, you know, he, he, was, he just wanted to know, you know, and he actually was able to, you know, figure out a lot of the, <clears throat> uh, metaphors and nuances and stuff like that in, in the story. And he was sitting there over the phone telling me all about it and <laughs> just, it was, it was, it was really cool, you know, um, and he's been like super supportive of Blaine, you know, um, he he sells it at uh, conventions uh, in his booth, you know.
1: Oh, I know he, he hits those conventions really hard. He he really does. Yeah. He's a real workhorse for Caliber. Just uh, word of mouth, hitting the streets and those cons.
0: Yeah, he, he's 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 really great. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I really think that you know Bleen it fits in really well with Caliber because they kind of do the more dark kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so yeah it's a, it's a it's a great fit and there's nothing better than working with a company that truly truly appreciates what you what you've uh, given them you know yeah it's like there's a genuine appreciation of it
1: I get that sense from them, and then the creators I've talked to—I, I, you know—I've only heard good things about their process and how they work with their creators. And they make yeah. their stuff really accessible on a lot of different platforms. Um, so that's really great. You know, uh, yeah, Glean sure. is—it's. Uh, I read four issues, and that's four issues complete, right? Are you—is there any plans to continue this the the story? I know the ending, but you know, it's the horror genre, so you never know. But, um, or a new project what, what's what's next kind of for you
0: <clears throat> well I I do have some ideas and I've been developing them and um, so yeah I mean pretty much you can expect some more stuff um, out of me and uh, through Caliber uh, in, in the future I don't know I can't say exactly when right. yeah. but you know it's, it's definitely uh, going to happen, though.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, before we, we go here, I, I, we mentioned this at the top of the show where people can find it. But just kind of in your own words, like um, if, if someone's interest is peaked in Bleen or they're just interested in indie comics and want to support the scene, where can they go? What's the best place for them to go to get their hands on uh, an issue or the entire collection of Bleen?
0: Well, the trade paperback is on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and those are all four and, issues together there?
0: Yes. You could buy the whole thing together as one book. Um, Comicsology.com sells them uh, the four issues separately as digital downloads. Oh, nice. Or you could buy the whole package, um, all four issues, on Comixology.com.
1: Excellent. And where can people uh, reach you at, John?
0: i I do mostly Instagram. Um, i don't I don't have a Twitter. I don't like Twitter. Um, <laughs> and Facebook, I'm not really on there too much. Uh, but on Instagram, you can find me uh, John Kalunga.
1: All right, so that's John Kalunga, and I'll put that in the show notes as well so you can reach out to John. Uh, after you read Baleen and tell them what you think. Maybe you can um, you know, pick apart some of those metaphors and you guys can have a conversation. Uh, this is, you know, when we talk about independent comics, the, what I love about independent comics the best is the originality of the voices and illustrators behind them. And so when someone like John sends me something, I'm always excited to open it up because more than half the time I'm in for something new Um, either a completely new idea or a new twist on something that I thought I knew and I don't think Bleen disappoints in that arena Uh, there are things that I didn't see coming in this, I think the art blends very well with the story I think that's where people kind of maybe uh, attach that Tim Burton influence, I think they're associating, associating, associating that more with the art than the actual story itself there But I highly recommend you go pick up Glean. And, John, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking to us uh, about your book today. I really
0: appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
1: And until next time, guys, we'll see you next trade.